we got the alternative energy. free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome. I'm KA. This week's Rad Show has been recorded and produced on the unceded lands of the Wadjuk Noongar, or better known as Perth for 3CR Melbourne, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. On this week's Rad Show, you'll hear the recordings taken over last weekend at the WA State Labor Conference, in which the WA Nuclear Free Campaign held a seminar hosted by the State Secretary Steve McCartney of the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union. The Nuclear Free Australia seminar speakers included Jewar woman Vicky Abdallah, who is the co-chair of the Australian Nuclear Free Alliance and one of the women from the Ulyri Legal Challenge. You'll hear from Dave Sweeney, the Australian Conservation Foundation's National Nuclear Free Campaigner, and from Piers Verstegen, the director from the Conservation Council of WA. There was a really great presence and profile at the WA Labor Conference with Leader of the Opposition Anthony Albanese and WA Premier Mark McGowan who met with Yuliri defender Vicky Abdullah and really putting the nuclear-free issue strongly on the radar at the Labor Conference. Before we begin to listen to this seminar, I'll give a quick update from the Yuliri Legal Challenge. So on July 31st this year, the two-year legal challenge over the controversial Yuliri Uranium Project state environmental approval was handed down. The Yuliri Legal Challenge is one of the most historic and significant actions taken for the WA environment and for traditional owners. The case highlighted the urgent need for environmental law reform in WA and to establish effective legal protection for all creatures and to prevent wildlife extinction. The controversial Cameco Uranium Mine proposal was rejected by the WA Environmental Protection Authority based on overwhelming evidence on the grounds that it would likely cause extinction to up to 12 unique species. There was an appeals process which was upheld by the WA EPA's finding and which also the former State Environment Minister agreed had however approved the mine despite all of this. So it was this inconsistency between the findings and the outcome that was taken to the Supreme Court of WA by the three dual women, Shirley and Lizzie Wanyabong and Vicky Abdullah and the Conservation Council of WA. And although the case was dismissed in July this year in the Supreme Court of Appeals, the case really highlighted the urgent need for state and national environmental laws to be strengthened. The dual women strongly stood by their commitment to stop Ulyri uranium mine, acknowledging the disappointment but really glad they took this to court to defend their country and to expose the problems with environmental law in this state. And you'll hear from Vicky later in the show in the, in the seminar. For the Jewar women, it is the latest chapter in their ongoing fight to protect sacred country from uranium mining, a fight which has so far lasted four decades and has already seen off at least two mining companies, including PHP. These women, along with the support of many people and groups, will not give up the fight to stop the proposed uranium mine. The project may have passed in the court of law, but it has failed in the court of public opinion. The Jewar women continue to vigorously campaign and they'll lead um, a group of people from all over the country out to Yaliri for a week-long solidar- solidarity camp in, in September. And I'll give more details of this camp at the end of the show. You're listening to The Radioactive Show. I'm KA. Let's go now to the WA Labor State Conference held last week in which the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union State Secretary Steve McCartney facilitated a Nuclear Free Australia seminar. 
Excuse me, um, everyone. I know that we're all having little chats. I think it's a. I don't think we're going to get too many more, so it might be a good time to have you have a discussion about this. I think uh, we know we're here today about um, making sure that we um, keep our country clean, make sure that we can actually uh, get get our uh, get our stuff, keep the stuff in the ground that shouldn't be out of the ground, and make sure. More importantly, I think. Uh, give our first people a voice about what happens in their country. I seem to, th I seem to think that um, our governments think it's a free kick when they're dealing with Indigenous groups uh, on country because I think they already know in the back of a lot of people's mind they've already got a position and what they do is they keep warming that up to make sure that uh, the government seems like they've got the moral high ground when they're trying to steal your, your land and take away your choices. And what we, what we all should be doing in, in forums like this today, and, and more importantly, in forums in the bigger room next door, is making sure that we see government make themselves accountable about making sure this happens. Exactly. It's well, just yeah. sad sitting there earlier, like I was telling someone today, that our voices aren't being heard next door. They're not being heard next door, and that's why there's such a push from, the, from inside the party to try and make sure that we get more diversity across the party. You know, making sure that there is Aboriginal voices. You know, I'm uh, a good friend of Tom Mayers uh, from um, from the Kim uh, from the uh, Darwin from Northern Territory, and he's a great advocate for his people. Uh, and he's been working very hard over the last three or four years. I actually did the first agreement with him in in Queensland with the 29 language groups up the side of there doing a deal with the uh, 11 unions. That was the first time we did one, and now we luckily we've got a uh, an agreement with 42 PBCs and over 39 language groups inside the Kimberley. And our position as a union is we support their right to say what happens in their, in their land. Mm -hmm. So if they want to be part of the economy, we will support them being part of the economy. But we also, we also reserve the right to support them to, f to have uh, total sovereignty over their own land, to make sure that they have their voice heard about what's going to happen in their land. And if they want to be part of the economy, what other options are there? You know what I mean? You don't get options. I don't believe. If, you, if, you've got a, if you're on country and you're, with, you're, you're an Indigenous person on country and they're coming to talk about how to use your country or what they want to do, they don't say, what would you like to do in your country? They say, by the way, we'd like to drill a hole in your country. And we'd like to take a punt. We'd like to take a punt on your water supply, but... We think it'll be okay, but if it isn't, it's only going to affect you. Now, I had the misfortune, I suppose, but I was fortunate in another way, in the Northern Territory, to go and have a look at the mine up there and talk to the, about the people, what the problem is there. I and mean, as you know, it's 0 0.001 is supposed to be safe, and I think they just declared that safe because they couldn't actually work out a way to get it to zero. And they're supposed to be safe in the waterhole, but every time it rains up there in the wet season, it actually gets to point one. Every, every sign in that area is in English. And not many country people up there speak English. And for 15 kilometres around that mine, there is signs in the bush saying, don't eat the bush tucker, in English. Average lifespan up there is 43 years. This is why it's important, and the AMW has made it central to us that we're going to be standing up to make sure that this stuff stays in the ground. In our view. In our view, 
that doesn't pass the asbestos test. It's dangerous to dig up. It's absolutely dangerous to transfer anywhere. And of course it affects the end user. It's the same test we applied to asbestos. That's banned, it's illegal, it's horrible. Now there's a lot of money at the moment behind uranium. All of a sudden that test is no longer applicable for this. So I don't, I don't get that. We have to make sure that, that we don't impact on the environment. And more, and more importantly, we don't impact on the people. The people that live on country, the people that are going to be working on country. And I just think it's a disgrace uh, that, that we can't get that idea. And we have been the advocates inside the ALP, the AMW have been the advocates for people to have veto on their land. I think that's the only answer. You can talk about having a voice, you can talk about everything else, but the most important thing is for Indigenous veto on their own, on their own country. So it doesn't matter how much power, how many lawyers, what's going on, the reality of it is, it's your land, it's your country, if you don't want it, you should be able to veto it. Now, I'm a 50-year-old white man up here talking about this. I know we've got some people with a lot more experience than me that actually live this experience. Wendy's one of those people. I'd like to invite her up to have a discussion with you. Thank you. Oh, the people who just walked in, um, those of you who don't know, I'm Vicky. I'm one of the dual women's with my two aunties. Um, of two years, we've been fighting for our country and through the Supreme Court. And it was very disappointing of the outcome. But like myself, my two aunties, we'll still keep on fighting for our country. Our country is too precious for us to let mining companies do a lot of damage for our people, especially our people, our children. And yeah, so, and all our other stuff around our area. Um, well, as we know, the EPA mob knows, minister knows, the court knows. What can we do? But we'll still go ahead and fight what is right for us. Um, yeah, so I think most of the people I've been speaking to, and you know, I've got a lot of supporters out there, there's many people out there. Um, I always think about a lot of things, head back to country, sit down and invite people to come out on the country. You know, people in suits. I like to exchange them, you know. People in suits, I like to be in a suit. People walking around in suits, go back out on the country and just think how it's been living in that time how our grandparents, our great-great-parents, all of the families, how they've been walking, collecting food. We can't do it because there is no water. We have to carry our own water now to travel through our country or pull up on the station to get a little bit of water. I would like to stay out there and I have one of the reasons I like to go and build a community out there or get hold of one of the stations, the four stations. Um, yeah, so I'll be around if anyone wants to chat. Um, yeah, so 
Thank you. Um, everyone in this room knows Dave. I know Dave. I've known Dave for a long time. He's educated me a lot about this particular subject. He's, uh, I think he's one of the champions of the cause, I think, nationally, fighting this every step of the way. And uh, someone I support and someone I actually trust very much. Thanks, Steve. That, that uh, counts. That's, that's great. Thanks. That's a great welcome. And, uh, and it's good to be here on Noongawaja country on this day. Um, I'm, I work in Melbourne. My name's Dave Sweeney. I work in Melbourne with the Australian Conservation Foundation on national nuclear issues. So what I was going to do is just give a little snapshot of the nuclear, what's happening nuclear-wise in Australia, and then ha there's a little bit more detail from Piers Verstegen from the uh, Cons Council of WA to talk about the WA-specific stuff. I won't take too much time, but I just want to paint a little bit of a picture about what's happening with uranium mining and radioactive waste. Another big issue where there's lots going on is nuclear weapons. But uranium mining, we, it's the starting place of the nuclear industry with that first shovel. And we've got lots of uranium. We've got 35-40% of the world's uranium. So what we do, the decisions we make and what we do matters here in Australia. On the eastern seaboard, there are procedural and legal and social licence problems that coupled with the poor uranium price mean that the entire eastern seaboard is locked up for this mineral. In the centre corridor, there is uranium mining and has been for many years in both South Australia and the Northern Territory. But the Northern Territory, it is now over. The Northern Territory in Kakadu that was going to be a uranium province till 2060. There is no uranium mining in Kakadu today. There's still a little bit of processing and that will finish in January 2021 at the latest. So that chapter of Australian resource politics is over. The challenge now is the cleanup. The cleanup is massive, complicated, and as Steve said, these mines have really significant impacts exacerbated and worsened by being in a wet, dry tropics. Good news is that the Mirar people, the traditional owners of that country who have been so staunch in their opposition to first the Ranger mine, the laws were changed. Their opposition was acknowledged but was decided not to be allowed to prevail. The laws were changed to override them. They fought and stopped Jabaluka. They fought for clean-up of Ranger. And Rio Tinto, big company, is the one that now holds Ranger and it's committed a billion dollars to its clean-up. And there is a real start of Aboriginal people being in the driving seat of a transition from a mining to a post-mining economy. That didn't happen because Rio's a kind company. It happened because Aboriginal people advocated and trade unionists, environmentalists, people of faith, good politicians got in behind. And that has made a real difference. But there is still a really significant issue about clean-up, rehabilitation, how do you do it, how do you do it well. And some people in this room will remember there's a mine called an old mine called Rum Jungle. That's near a place called Bachelor single man's mine and that is still it's now about to have its third rehabilitation attempt another 200 or 250 million dollars of public money to be allocated later this year to clean up this mine which has been cleaned up two times before and continues to weep and leak, leak poison but on the positive so there's still lots of challenges but on the positive the northern territory now does not mine uranium so where australian uranium is focused is at bhp's Olympic Dam mine in South Australia. That is big, 
It's polymetallic, so it's got gold, copper, silver and uranium. And now that mine is seeking to expand. So that's not good news. It's lots of impact, it's lots of radioactive waste, it's lots of challenge, it's lots of consumption of water. But it's also interesting to think two things. At the start of this decade, that mine had permits from state and federal government and money from, its, from the company to expand. And it had a budget to expand of $25 billion. Now, at the end of this decade, that company is seeking permits from the state and federal government for expansion, for an expansion project of $3 billion. So it's one-eighth the spend. That doesn't mean that it's one-eighth as dangerous, but it's one-eighth the spend. And it's being driven not by uranium, but by copper, because the uranium price has fallen and been smashed because of Fukushima. Uranium price is measured in US dollars per pound, and before Fukushima it was $120 a pound. Now, after Fukushima, it's 30 There's prices being smashed and mining companies are walking away. What we need to do, very, very much so, is ensure that they don't walk away and end up in Western Australia. They don't walk away and end up in WA. We need to keep the door closed to uranium mining in this state. Piers will talk a little bit about the four projects and where they are. But before I finish, I just wanted to say the other thing about uh, uranium is it's the starting point of radioactive waste. And every now and again a proposal comes up like whack-a-mole, like that fairground sideshow thing where it pops up and you have to knock it down. And that proposal is that the world's radioactive waste comes here. It's like a radioactive terra nullius. It comes here, it's put on someone's country and it's forgotten, that becomes a sacrifice zone and in the cities we get rich, charging them rent for storing their waste. Well, that pr proposal has come up in the late 1990s in Western Australia in the Officer and Savory Basins and people fought it, including people in this room, and it came up a couple of years ago in South Australia, in a South Australian Royal Commission, and Anangu and other people really, really got together and fought strongly and stopped that, to their great credit. So we've stopped for the moment. The thing will pop up again and we'll need to mobilise and knock it down again. Because this is not rubbish country and this is not vacant lands. So we need to challenge that every time. We've challenged it for the moment. But the real issue now in radioactive waste is how do we manage our own? We have radioactive waste in Australia from a small nuclear reactor that we have in Sydney that manufactures medical and industrial and uh, other isotopes but it does create spent nuclear fuel and radioactive waste. So the federal government for 35 years has had a plan to move all of Australia's radioactive waste, all the Commonwealth's radioactive waste, and move it to one site somewhere in regional or remote Australia and bury the low-level stuff that needs to be kept isolated for 300 years, put it in drums and bury it, walk away. But the higher-level stuff, what they call intermediate-level waste, needs to be isolated for 10,000 years. So I want to move that, put it in special canisters, store it in a shed there, and then work out what to do with it. Now, 95% of that waste, 95% of the keep it isolated for 10,000 years stuff, is at the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation's Lucas Heights site. It's already there. 1,200 people work at that facility, turn up every day. There's a sign on the front door that says Australia's Centre of Nuclear Exodus. It has secure tenure. It has the Australian Federal Police, dogs and tiger wire all around it. 
It has the Holdsworthy SAS base on the other side of the road, and it has the fastest and most comprehensive <coughs> monitoring and response capacity for nuclear accidents in Australia. And the stuff's already there. In secure storage, and the Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Agency, the federal regulator, has said there is no urgency to move it. So there's no radiological imperative or rationale. And yet there's a political push. And that's reaching the sharp end now in South Australia. The relevant minister is Matt Canavan. Last week he was in regional South Australia pushing radioactive waste dumping. On Monday he gets in a plane to fly to India to talk up thermal coal sales. Dirty exports, dirty business. We need to do better in this country. We need to transition from dirty energy. We need to stop fueling uranium shipments and coal shipments in that same big way and transition into a clean energy future and take responsibility about how we manage our waste and not just put it on small, isolated communities and play carrot and stick politics with a very long problem. So, you know, there's many people who are standing with those people to make that difference. Um, and that's really important and we're hoping that, you know, WA Labor will take some positions and reinforce federal labour and all of that sort of stuff. Final thing I want to finish on before passing to Piers, and sorry for taking long, is nuclear power, domestic nuclear power. Like, we started this decade with Australian uranium inside Fukushima reactor. We know that Australian uranium was inside Fukushima reactor when it melted down. That's a fact, and it's been acknowledged by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. That's how we started this decade. Now, we're ending the decade with a conversation about domestic nuclear power. In this country that's blessed with renewables and smart technology, we're talking about taking up nuclear power. High cost, high risk, low deployability. And there's the real issue here that it's been driven by the political right. There's now three inquiries, one federal, one in New South Wales, one in Victoria. One was put up by Mark Latham, One Nation. One was put up by the Queensland Nationals and one was put up by the Liberal Democrats in Victoria. So it's a hard right, ideologically driven, split the community sort of issue. And it's a real distraction at best from where we need to be. Because as we know, we need to change the way that we generate and use power. We need to move to clean energy. We don't need a dangerous distraction in the form of a high cost, high risk, capital intensive, long waste generating nuclear industry. So. There's submissions that are open till the 13th of September. Check out the, the Federal Government uh, Environment and Energy Committee website. It will make a real difference to even just say a really simple thing. We're calling on WA Labor to stand strong on that and send a message to Federal Labor to say the same because without bipartisan support, it'll never get anywhere and it shouldn't. Thanks so much for your time. Um, as Dave, as Dave uh, led to earlier, at uh, the start of his speech, um, that Piers is uh, uh, our West Australian activist here uh, that runs the show, and uh, he's going to give us some insight into the four mines that we've got operating, or they're trying to get up and running at the moment, and um, we'll all be full bottles at the end of this, I'm sure. Steve, thank you. Um, we have uh, four uranium mine proposals here that were inherited uh, by this government. The Barnett government made it a priority to try and get uranium mining off the ground here in Western Australia. And after two terms of trying to do that, uh, we still have no operating uranium mines. But unfortunately, they signed off before losing office on some pretty dodgy proposals. 
and uh, the Conservation Council, the organisation I work with, uh, has been working with traditional owners and others uh, since then to try and prevent those mines, those approval, uh, approvals for mines becoming actual mines, becoming actual reality and impact on people's land and impact on people's country. Now we have been assisted uh, by the fact that the uranium price has been depressed, so there's not uh, a huge amount of money in this industry at the moment, um, but that's also a risk for us because uh, sometimes projects like this can go ahead, uh, cause problems on country, cause contamination and then fall over and then the taxpayer uh, is left to foot the bill and we know that with other abandoned mine sites here in Western Australia that, that that is the case. If that happens with uranium, it's a very, very big bill and actually you can't rehabilitate country from uranium mining. Once you dig that stuff up, you can't put it back. You can't rehabilitate country. Uh, so that's why we've been so keen to uh, prevent those projects from going ahead. And Vicky mentioned the court case that we've been uh, engaged in uh, in relation to the Yaliri mine. That's a special one. That approval was given uh, just before the Barnett government lost office when the bulldozers were in the BLA wetlands against the advice of the Environmental Protection Authority. Why? Because it's, it would, it's known that that project would cause the extinction of multiple species. Extinction is forever. You can't get back from extinction. Uh, it's snubbing out life forever uh, for a whole species. Uh, and so we were so keen to challenge that in court and we've stood in, in court with the, the three amazing dual uh, women, two of which have actually fought this particular uh, mining project for 40 years, uh, an incredible effort, um, seeing off at least two other mining companies from succeeding to go ahead there. Uh, and uh, the, the court outcome is disappointing uh, in that it has upheld the approval for that mine, but what it's shown us clearly is that West Australia's environmental laws are broken, both at state and commonwealth level. They are not strong enough to prevent extinction, which is the worst form of environmental damage. Uh, so it shows us that we actually need law reform here in Western Australia, and that's one of the next things that, that we need to advocate for on the agenda. Um, so that, that, that's one of the projects. Now, uh, that's the, the, the company said that they're not going to go ahead and mine that resource anytime soon because of the depressed uranium price. The court case prevented them from commencing that uh, mining operation early. Uh, uh, there's, there's another approval called a, the Toro uh, project. They are now exploring for gold instead of uranium. Uh, there's another one called the Kintyre uh, project, and this is a key one that we need to look out for because here in Western Australia, when you give environmental approval for a project, it lasts five years and then it has to be renewed again. And that five-year term is coming up next year for Kintyre. Kintyre is another special example. It's on an incredible country, in Madhu country. It's an area that was excised out of uh, Kalamili National Park, Western Australia's largest national park. Beautiful country. I've walked through it uh, with the Madhu. That needs to be put back in that national park. Uh, and we need to actually prevent that uh, approval from being uh, reinstated after that five-year uh, time frame. Uh, so that's a key initiative that we need to work on as well. Uh, so that country can be given back to the Madhu uh, and have to manage it as part of that national park. Uh, and then the last one is one called Mulga Rock. Uh, and that is one that Twiggy Forest has been uh, investing in and showing interest in. Uh, they, they got their environmental approval under the Barnett government, like the other uh, three. 
And then after the election, they started speaking to investors a completely different project that had a completely different way of mining and, and way of operating the, the, the uranium uh, extraction plant. So we got hold of that information and actually took that back to the EPA and said, you need to reassess this again, because this is a totally different project that they're proposing now. And so that project is now locked up in that process, and they haven't worked out what to do about it, because the company is trying to challenge the EPA and say, no, we don't need a different environmental assessment. And we're saying, well, you've got a completely different project with different impacts. You need to go through that process again. So those four projects are not going anywhere right now, but we need to remain vigilant as a community uh, because the uranium price could come back or we could see projects being invested in by people like Twiggy Forest that have got a lot of money, uh, but then uh, you know those projects might not actually be viable and we've got to make sure that the, the impacts and the costs of rehabilitating that land are not transferred back to taxpayers. And the best way to do that is to stop them going ahead in the first place. So that's what we've been so committed to as part of the Conservation Council. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for uh, listening. That's uh, a bit of a summary about where we're at now. And that's all we have time for in today's Radioactive show. You've been listening to Vicky Abdallah, an inspiring dual First Nations woman. We've heard from Comrade Steve McCartney and the progressive trade union AMWU and from Dave Sweeney, as always, for his relentless and tireless work both here in WA and nationally towards a nuclear-free Australia, and from Piers Verstegen, the Director of the Conservation Council. So here in WA, we're now preparing for the Yaliri Solidarity Camp that will happen from the 28th of September to the 5th of October, and all are welcome to participate and show the Yaliri traditional owners that we continue to stand strong beside them and, and won't let this uranium mine proceed. You can contact me at ka at footprintsforpeace.org. The Radioactive Show is on Facebook and past episodes are available on the 3CR website. Go to www.3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. We'll post links of all the information in today's show on our Facebook page and the 3CR website. Contact us on email radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. The Radioactive Show was produced on Ghana land with the support of Friends of the Earth Nuclear Free Collective for 3CR Melbourne. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for more peace, nuclear and energy issues.